0: Hey there, thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. We've just finished up our, our fall series on walking and being led by the Holy Spirit. I wanna remind you of a couple of things. One is the Holy Spirit is utterly committed to the mission of Jesus. Everything that he is, everything he has has been united to the mission of Jesus. So the work of the Holy Spirit is always to make you more conscious of, more intimate with the Lord Jesus Christ. J.I. Packer, who's a great theologian, explained it this way, when you see a beautiful building at night lit up, you don't go, "Oh, what a spotlight." You go, oh, what a beautiful building. And the Holy Spirit loves to spotlight the Lord Jesus Christ, his life, his work, his ministry. And so over the course of the Sundays leading up to Christmas Eve, we're getting a spotlight on the names of Jesus as revealed in the scripture. Because his name is to be hallowed. It's ultimate. It's, it's the treasure that we have. When you begin to live and operate and move in his name, you start to see things transformed. Also, the names of Jesus help you to understand the very character of God. Everything that you need to know about God's character is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you're understanding his revealed character... When you begin to hear from the spirit you'll know it's the spirit because it will always be in alignment with the character of god's revealed names and as you're operating as a not just somebody who's surviving but beginning to really walk and step with the spirit you're going to hear things and you're going to know and be able to discern is this of god is this not of god so the first name that i want us to focus on actually was revealed in the Old Testament. It was revealed in Exodus chapter 15. It is the name Yahweh Rapha. Now, you might be accustomed to more the transliterated name, which is Jehovah Rapha, but it is the combination of God's personal name, which he basically means, I am that I am, I will be what I will be. It is who he is today and forever coupled with his character of being the healer. And the story in which this name was revealed is a very powerful story. As a matter of fact, if you ever want to understand the journey that happens between when you get converted, when you're born again, to the day you arrive in heaven, just read the Exodus of the children of Israel as they leave Egypt and then try to make that journey to the promised land and you'll see incredible parallels between their journey and your journey. Now what happens is as they are journeying, you begin to realize that though they have been set free, they're still living like slaves. They still have the mentality, they still have the the, the bondage on them And one of the bondages is that they're used to other people taking care of them. And so they come to challenges, or they come to times of trial, and instead of remembering the promises of God, they begin to believe that what they see is the only reality. So here's one of those things. They go three days, and there's no water in sight. And we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people. And there's no water. There's no source of water. Now, if you've ever been to the Middle East, you will realize that everywhere you look, it doesn't look like there's water anywhere. I carried around the biggest bottle of Nestle's water with me everywhere I went. And I remember going up Mount Nebo, which is where God took Moses to show him the promised land and then take him up into heaven and as we're going up Mount Nebo, there's no water anywhere. There's nothing but sand and rocks and sun. And the car we're in begins to overheat. And I, I think we, if you know anything about this place, it is far away from everything. And it is hot. And it, I'm like, oh, God, let this thing be fixed and stuff. You just begin to think, oh, we're not going to have water. We're not going to make it. And I'm thinking, we're not going to have air conditioning. And we're not going to make it. You know all this kind of stuff, and and so they all they can think of is how thirsty they are, and and it's gone three days. Where is the water going to come from? See, in that moment, they don't turn to God; they turn on God, and they begin to say, "Why'd you bring us here? Why'd you lead us to this place? This is not what we expected." And then they, it says, they found water and they took a drink. And it was bitter. It was bitter. It tasted horrible. It was probably not healthy. It probably wasn't good. They couldn't drink. I don't know about you, but it sounds like a story many of us face. Sometimes you go through dry times. You're like, God, why is it taking so long? I'm thirsty. And then you get a false hope. Oh, this is going to be it. This is going to be the relationship. This is going to be the job. This is going to be the education. This is going to, and you drink it, and it's bitter. And you're like, I'm so disappointed. And what happens is we don't realize that those challenges are revealing what's inside of us. That we really don't walk by faith. We walk by sight. That what we see is more real to us than what we believe. We forget in the desert what God said in the oasis. We forget what God said he was taking us to. And when he says he's going to take you there, he always has the provision for us. But you see, our God is really smart. And he knows you don't listen. So he does dramatic things to get your attention. I mean, if you're thirsty enough, you'll listen. If you just drank bitter, bitter water when you thought it was going to be sweet water, he's got your attention now because you're desperate. It's funny how much real revelation only takes place when we're desperate. So what he does in the midst of that is he speaks to them, and he has their full attention at this point. He says in Exodus 15, 26, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord. That's Yahweh. I am Yahweh. I am who I am. I will be who I will be is what that word means. Your healer. That's the Rapha part. You see, what we don't understand is often because we're so stubborn, he has to take away the comforts to get our attention so he can make the dramatic revelations. Now think about this with me, that as he speaks this to them, he says, basically by his actions, what he says in other places, nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is too hard for God. So he says to Moses, do you see, that, you see that stump over there? you see that piece of wood over there? Go and take that and throw it into the water. Now, you know, if I were Moses at this point, I was like, what's that going to do? Why do I have to throw the wood into the water? Why can't you just make it sweet the easy way? But do you understand who's speaking to Moses? It's the second person of the Trinity. It's the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. He is saying that the bitterness cannot be turned sweet without wood, which is a picture of the cross. He's showing them that the bitterness of your life cannot be turned to sweetness unless something else takes the poison, unless something else absorbs the unhealthiness. This is Jesus speaking to his people saying, it will take a cross to turn your thirst into satisfaction. It will take a cross to turn the bitterness of your life into sweetness. Look at the promise. If you will just listen to the Lord your God, if you will just be obedient, he says, you won't get sick. You would think that would make people listen. You would think that kind of promise would make people obedient. But instead, the rest of the Old Testament is how they never listened, how they never were obedient. So we come today, we come today because God didn't choose to exclude the disobedient, God didn't choose to exclude the stubborn and the ones who have trouble listening. As a matter of fact, when the people of God became the most hard-hearted, when they became the least listening generation of all time, he says, look, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. And it's not going to be like the old covenant. And here's what he says. I'm going to make the covenant. I'm going to keep the covenant for you. And then I'm going to give you the benefits of the covenant. That is so amazing, isn't it? That's why we're here this morning. We're we're really centering this service all around this table. Because our Lord Jesus Christ, who made an offer that's unbelievable, I'll keep you from your sicknesses if you'll just listen. I'll keep you from all the diseases that you saw in Egypt if you'll just obey me. And they couldn't do it. And if you think you're different from them, you're not. And so he said, look, I so much want to have a love relationship with you. I so much want to have intimacy with you. Then I will make a new covenant with you. And I'll keep the covenant. And I'll take the curses on myself. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, the Bible says. And I'll take your bitterness and I'll give you my sweetness. I'll be treated as you deserve. So that now you can be treated as I deserve. All the benefits of the covenant. Now, I'm going to say something to you. I could not explain that better and you're just sitting there. Are you hearing me? This is for you. This is about you. This table is for you. This isn't a table that a church can keep from you. This is a table that Jesus provided for you. This is a healing table. This is a deliverance table. This is a freedom table. This is the table of former slaves who have been set free. Look how this connects. The Lord Jesus, when he came in his flesh, when he came in the incarnation began to do exactly what he said his name was. I am Jehovah Rapha. And one of the great examples of his healing ministry is Matthew chapter 8. There's just one after another of healing miracles that took place. And he, in these passages, explains some things I want us to look at before we go to the table of the Lord together. But I like it when you read God's Word out loud with me. So let's read it together. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to Him asking for help. Lord, He said, My servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. So the first thing I want you to see from this, there are three things before we go to the table I'd like you to get today. The first is this. The healing miracles are Jesus' proof that He is who He says He is. It is His healing miracles that speak and affirm the authority that he has as Jehovah Rapha. And this centurion understands that his authority is the authority of the Son of God. And so the centurion gets what many of us in the Christian church don't even begin to realize. The centurion says, here's how authority works. Anybody In the hundred men that I have authority over, if I say go, they go. If I say come, they come. If I say do, they do. That's authority, he says. But you're the son of God. You don't have authority over a hundred men. You have authority over the whole world. And even over the demonic world and the angelic world. And when you say go, they go. And when you say do, they do. That's what the centurion understood. He understood the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, you don't even have to come to my house. All you have to do is say the words. (laughs) But what you and I don't seem to understand is that in the realm of your assignment, in the realm that Jesus has placed you, you have his authority. You have permission to use his name. What do we do with that authority, though? We ask him to do what we have been tasked with doing. Instead of believing that I have authority over my assignment like the centurion did, I begin to say, oh, Lord, will you deliver my family? Oh, God, will you save this? Or will you do that? Or will you do this? And God says, no. I've given that task to you. You speak with authority. You say come. You say go. The word of God says when you bind something which is saying go, it is bound in heaven. It says when you want something to come, it says loose and it will be loose. In heaven. That's the authority that you have. And yet we keep throwing it back to God and wondering why He doesn't answer our prayers. Do you understand? You have the kingdom in your heart, which means you have an indicator and a touch of heaven in your heart. So that wherever you are, you can loose what is true of heaven within the realm that you have assignment. Anywhere you have assignment, the Lord always gives authority. You understand, our God is not a bad boss. He's a good boss. I've had bad bosses where they gave me responsibility, but would not give me authority. So I got the blame, but I didn't have the power to make changes. I hate those kind of jobs. Actually, I won't take those kind of jobs. I'll just tell you that. If you're going to give me a, a responsibility, you better give me authority. Because if I'm going to get the blame, I might as well do it my way. Amen. That You don't even have to go to counseling now. <laughs> you understand, if you, if you have some responsibility, but they won't let you do it the way you see doing it, you're doomed to failure. That's a bad boss. Plus, it's a boss who really wants the credit when it goes right and wants to give you the blame when it goes wrong. That's unholy. It's unhealthy. Our God is not like that. If He's given you responsibility, He's also given you authority. Let me just just start with this. It means that wherever He has given you that's your realm to release, to release the kingdom of heaven, to release what is true of heaven. Do you understand? In your home, you have authority to release what's true of heaven. It's funny how many people come up to me and say, oh, God, how can, my, oh Mike, how can I pray to God to change my spouse? I have a list. I've been fasting and praying. This list of how to change this, this you know, this person that I live with and I'm like look every single person that's in your life has a will and a responsibility that has to do with their own will if you try to manipulate dominate or in some way intimidate their will you have become as bad as they are but you can change the environment around them You can take away any deception. You can take away any way in which some other spiritual environment has taken control of your home because it has no right to be there. But what happens to many of us is we begin to say, I've been three days without any water, and we start complaining. Oh, I thought this was going to be the relationship, and we get bitter. You understand, once you start complaining and once you get bitter, you get more. Because complaining is a negative prayer. It reveals to your enemy exactly how to push your buttons, how to get you distracted, how to get you disqualified. But if you'll get back on track and say, wait a minute, I have authority. I can release what's true of heaven in my home. I can release what's true of the kingdom of heaven at my school, at my work, with my friends. There isn't a single place that when you start to release what is true and what God wants to do through you, that he won't do it. But if you keep praying for him to do it, he said, I put you there to do it. And guess what? He will make your bitterness into sweetness. But it all starts in one place. Would you take your finger and just draw a circle around yourself? You have all authority in that circle. It's interesting, the Spirit of God doesn't say, I give you control over others. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. In other words, that's self-authority, self-leadership. Everything within that circle can be only of the Spirit of God if you will govern your circle. Come on, that's pretty good. Many of us are always going, oh, God, would you make it easier for me? Would you make it more comfortable for me? Of course, we sophisticated and say it another way, but that's really what we're saying. I don't want to walk through the wilderness. I know there's a promised land. I just want to be magically transported there like on Star Trek or something. And yet God says you will not be able to understand, be able to receive the full revelation of me being Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, your healer, unless you need to be healed of something, and unless you really understand that you do need to be healed of something. Now, some people have, have in many ways, been caught up in what I would call sort of the spirit of modernity in terms of Christianity. Since the age of reason or the age of enlightenment, many people have said, if I can't see it, I can't believe it. If I can't somehow observe it and test it, then it must not be true. Now, you have to understand something. The world has moved away from modernity. There is a a reality all over the world that there are spiritual things that cannot be observed or explained in, in purely scientific ways. But in our secular society and even in our churches, there has been a sense of saying, well, you know, miracles were for the first century, but they're not for today. Or these, you know, the things of God, they were for us to believe and have an orthodox belief, but, but really not to expect them now. Can I just say to you, if you believe in God, you're already foolish, right? You believe in supernatural if you believe in God. In terms of secular terms, you're a, you're a fool because God can't be proved. So if you're going to believe in God, why not go all the rest of the way and live your life utterly and completely <laughs> supernaturally? And be foolish for Jesus instead of a fool of philosophy. And begin to realize that that the more that you believe, the more you will see. The more you begin to release, man, heaven has come into my heart. I'm releasing it into my home. You'll see a difference in your children. You'll see a difference in your, your marriage. But if you keep complaining, the devil knows right where your access is given to him. The centurion observed Jesus. He knew that Jesus was the son of God. And then he said, since you are who you are, you have all authority. And Jesus said, all authority belongs to me. And he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's an amazing thing how much authority Jesus has given you. In the sphere of your influence and your assignment, he has given you as much authority as you will begin to develop, as you'll begin to employ. And what you'll see is the more you do it, you'll learn more and you'll get better at it. And you'll begin to understand the depth and the dimensions of your authority. Well, the healing of Jesus is always pointing to where he is taking us. It's interesting. I I grew up with Superman. It's a Kind of the weirdest Superman. It's this black and white Superman. he got kind of a beer belly, and, and he looked really terrible in his tights and all that kind of stuff. But yet, you know, it's in my mind. I did like Christopher Reeve a whole lot in the 70s. He looked like, like uh, Superman to me. But when Superman would come on and display his power, he would always do it in these very random sort of ways. He was faster than a speeding bullet. So What? What does that do for anybody, you know, kind of a thing? He had x-ray vision. Now we all feel our privacy is being invaded by this guy who can see through your clothes, you know, kind of a thing. When Jesus demonstrated he was Jehovah Rapha, that he really is the Son of God, do you know how he demonstrated Not with random acts of power. He went and found humans with real needs, and he met those needs. He didn't even go and say, where are the demons? He said, where are the people? Where are the people and where are their needs? Now, once he met the people with their needs, he also met their demons. But he always was showing his power, not in some random way so that you'll say, oh, you're powerful. You're Superman. Rather, you look at him and say, you're the healer. You're the deliverer. You're the savior. So, I don't know if you've ever thought through this, but that scripture said he healed all their diseases. The presence of Jesus in a region meant disease had to go. Sickness had to go. One one theologian actually postulates, says, in all of Jerusalem and all of Palestine, disease was (laughs) evacuated because of the presence of Jesus. Why is that? It is not because he was suspending the natural order. It's because he was restoring what God had intended. You see, you see, death is not your friend. It's not the natural order. It's a part of the curse. Sickness is not the sweet will of God. It's a part of the decay of death, which is part of the curse. You're not called to embrace it. You're called to fight against it. If it were the sweet thing of God, then when Lazarus died, Jesus would have rejoiced. But when Lazarus, his friend, died, it says he wept. Some of you, it's the only Bible verse you know because it's the shortest one in all the Bible. But Jesus wept, right? He cried out. He was passionate about it. And then Lazarus was supposed to be there. Jesus was supposed to be there. Death was the uninvited guest. And so Jesus called out and he said, Lazarus, come forth. (laughs) I'm bringing forth something else, huh? (laughs) I'm scaring myself right now. You know why he said he had to say, Lazarus, come forth? Because if he had said just come forth, every dead person would have come forth. Because that's the authority he has over death. That's the power he had over death. So he said, Lazarus, come forth. You understand? In that moment, he disinvited death. See, we believe this Lion King malarkey, that it's the circle of life. No, it's the curse of life that you die. Life is a blessing. Death is not. And the decay that comes from death is not your friend. It's your enemy. And Jesus didn't come and say, hey, it's lovely that you die. It's lovely that you're sick. When he was present, death could not stay. When he was present, sickness could not stay. Not even disabilities could remain because Jesus would restore what, was, what it was like before the curse had come on us all. Again, I am not saying that every sickness is a result of your disobedience, but it is a result of the ultimate sense that we are under a curse. And the redeeming work of Jesus points to the fact that before sin and and death broke everything apart, there was a precious sweet will of God that you and I would prosper, that we would live in abundance, that we would live with purpose, that we would flourish. That was always the purpose and the plan of of God, and sin destroyed that. And if, if I could just illustrate this one more thing for you. If death were such a sweet thing, why is it that heaven is a place where you live forevermore and there is no more death? If sickness is such a sweet thing, why is it not a part of eternity for those who live forever with the Lord? It says that it is a place where there will be no more sickness, no more tears, no more pain. These things are a result of our separation from God. They are not a result of our connection to God. And so Jesus, in the work that he's doing, is really pointing to us where he's taking us. In verse 11, I didn't write it down for you, but in verse 11, Jesus says he is restoring all things in such a way that you and I will taste and eat and feast together with him in a consummation of everything that he has intended for you. C.S. Lewis kind of helps us understand what that feast is going to be like. He says, every time that you experience an, an intense kind of pleasure here on earth, it's utterly and completely intoxicating. And he says this, if that taste of heaven in that pleasure is that intoxicating when you are so far from the source, what will it taste like? when you drink from the fountain that the pleasure came from. See, you and I, we are intoxicated and we'll give ourselves in an addictive way to something that will give us pleasure, thinking, if I can just have more of this. And yet in that little bit of pleasure, in that little intoxication is the clue. That's not the source. It's only an indicator that there are things you were made for that will not be completed till you're in the presence of Jesus and you're feasting at his table and you're drinking from his supply. Now, I know that's deep stuff, but are you tracking with me on that? Why would you settle for just the hint of pleasure when you were made to live in that pleasure forever? See, he's... He's telling us something in all of this that is so important for us to understand. In Jesus' ministry, he had this kind of radical discontent with the status quo. If somebody was sick, they got healed. If somebody was being treated unfairly, they were given justice. If somebody was in need of compassion or mercy, he would even shame those who wanted to destroy this person so that that they would all see that they were all under a need of mercy. What Jesus is calling us to in his healing ministry, in his Jehovah Rapha revelation of himself, is that you would start taking your clue that you cannot be comfortable in a world that still has death, sickness, and injustice. That where you see unfairness, you ought to rise up and say, that's not right. Because Jesus was not blinded by it. He said, that's not the intent of God. And when he sees sickness, you don't go, oh, and that's sweet that you're sick. No, you go, "Ah, dear, that's that needs to be reversed. That needs to be changed. And wherever there's death, you don't go, oh, welcome, sweet death. No, you say, that is a reminder that this world is still not what it's supposed to be. See, we, we can't be those who are just content to wait till either Jesus comes back or wait till we die. We're not holding on for heaven. We have heaven now. We have authority to release heaven. Begin to do so. Like a mighty army that says, I'm not content with things the way that they are. I'm going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Because I myself know that surely goodness and mercy are chasing after me. Therefore, I will chase after others with goodness and mercy. He's never just concerned for people's physical well-being. Every time he was healing, he was doing more than physically healing. He touched the leper so as to heal the fact that he'd been rejected. He'd been rendered unclean. So the clean touched the unclean. Neither were defiled. Both were cleansed. You see, you and I are called to do more than just say, I want to see physical healing. Ultimately, we want to see people healed from the damages of their emotions. We want to see people healed from the damages to their soul. But but that's not going to happen if they are not connected to the healer himself. I love his healing, but I seek the healer. I love to see people healed, but what I can do is put them in connection with the healer. (laughs) I've never healed anybody, but I've seen the healer do amazing things. <laughs> I've seen desperate people who couldn't see. Their eyes were opened immediately by the healer. I've seen people who were deaf and couldn't hear whatsoever. And the minute that Jesus spoke into their ears, their healing, their hearing was restored. I've seen limbs grow. I, I have no power to grow limbs I've seen limbs grow before my eyes. I'm sitting there, God, oh, what an awesome thing to see. Jesus so concerned about this little child who was stuck with atrophied limbs and yet he would not allow that child to stay the same and grew the child's limbs out to full size right before our eyes. Nothing is too hard for our God. Nothing is impossible. But he he has done this thing Where the authority he has, he's given it to you. And he's not saying, pray to me so that things can happen. He's saying, I've already given you responsibility. Therefore, I've given you authority. Begin to release heaven wherever you are. So that what is true of heaven becomes true of the earth that you're in charge of. Are you just quiet because you're thinking about this? Remember that everything starts in that first circle. If you keep not believing it, you won't see it. You have the authority in your circle to say, nothing but what the Spirit of God has for me may reside inside this circle. I find with many people we're so bad at self-governance that we've given away our peace, our contentment, our joy to everybody else around us. And then we wonder why we have no peace, no joy, and no contentment. First, you've got, to, you've got to govern your circle. Take authority over it. Well, uh, I want to I want to finish the Jesus' third thing is that his healing shows us how he saves us. In in this passage, you start to see a contrast. And it, most of us, what we want, what the people of Israel wanted, is they want it to be powerful and invulnerable. What, they, what many of us want is we, we begin to think, if I have enough money, nobody can mess with me. If, I have, you know, if, I'm, if I'm good looking, if I'm talented, if I'm strong, all of these different things, then nobody can ever reject me. And so what we, what we want is a temptation from the demonic side that says the goal of your life is to become invulnerable. How do I know this? Because that's how we tempted Jesus. Jesus had gone 40 days without food and and, and he was hungry and he was weak physically. And Satan says to him, show your power. Turn these stones into bread. And Jesus refused to do so. Jesus refused to let go of his vulnerability in order to become powerful. Again, Satan said, hey, throw yourself off of the pinnacle Of the temple, you will show everybody how powerful you are and they'll all follow you. And Jesus said, no, that is not how I will fulfill my mission. I won't fulfill my mission by showing I'm powerful. I will fulfill my mission by showing how vulnerable I am. And then Satan says, look, let's just get this over with. Here are the kingdoms of the earth. I'll give them to you. And Jesus said, no, that is not how I will accomplish. I will not accomplish my mission by being invulnerable. I will only accomplish my mission by being killable. You see, the vulnerability of Jesus is how he accomplished. Even when he rode into Jerusalem like a king, he rode in as a king to be led like a lamb to the slaughter. Are you, are you tracking with me on this? See, the problem in so many churches is, is we have fallen for Satan's temptation. <laughs> we come into church. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. And you know, oh, God is good. Oh, yeah, but he wasn't that good in your minivan on the way here. <laughs> you two were fighting like dog, cats and dogs. You hate your children. Your children hate you. I don't know that that's so good. See, you can't get healed if you keep saying the poison water tastes sweet. You can only get healed when you say, it's bitter, God. I'm thirsty, God. He's not not giving you random trials, friends. He's giving you intentional curriculum to show where your weakness is. And he is asking, will you embrace your vulnerability? Will you bring the truth out into the light so it can be healed? Do you understand? (laughs) The secrets you have, everybody else has those secrets. The brokenness you have, everybody around you is just as broken. We're all bankrupt. Why would we need a Savior if we have it all together? And yet, for some reason, the American church is all about being invulnerable, it's all about being powerful. It's all about having it together. Do you understand? He's going to take you through three days of no water so you'll learn you can't live without Him. He will sometimes let you drink the poison just so you'll know there is no living water without Him. And you and I, we curse Him for it because we want Him to make us look good. We don't look good, we look broken. And it's okay. He came for the broken. This table is not for the good. They don't need this table. It's not for the well. They don't need this table. This table is for people who can't listen, which I'm noticing some of you can't today. <laughs> this is the table for those who, even when they listen, still don't do what they heard. This is the table for the people who can't keep it together even after they have amazing experiences with God, it seems to spill out and you get right back to some of the old habits again. This is not for the table who have it together. This is for the people who can't get it together. (laughs) It's interesting how many of us live in hell when we could start living in heaven. But it's funny how much time we spend giving other people hell and wondering why they don't want heaven. That one was really good. I liked that one. I never heard that. I I thought of that in the first service. I was like, that must be the Holy Spirit. (laughs) See, the problem is for many of us, we're so afraid of being known as vulnerable because then we're afraid people will exploit that. We're so afraid of being known as broken because we're afraid that nobody will love us. Here's the thing I know is the one who loves you, knows you all the way to the bottom, and he loves you all the way to the top. (coughs) Why do I know that? Because it says that when he saved us, he became us. He who knew no sin became sin so that I might become the right... In other words, he bore what I am. He bore what I have. He bore it. He became it. In other words the god of glory the very son of the most high god became my petty jealousy he became my perversion he became my immorality he became you know my road rage on the palisades But not only that, it says he became my arthritis and he became my diabetes and he became my cancer and he became my heart issues and he became all those things that the son of God became pimples for us. I mean, think about all the things that afflict you and make you feel less than he became all those things because he loved you that much that he didn't want you to bear it by yourself. He wanted to bear it for you. Surely he bore our iniquities. That's our sins. And he bore our our infirmities. That's our weaknesses. Our physical issues. And then it says, and he carried our sorrows. That's our broken emotional places. He became those sins so that you could become the righteousness of God. It's only broken people to whom his Beauty of bearing is applied. No one else. You don't get this if you don't want it. You only get this when you go, I can't go another three days without water. I can't keep drinking this bitter stuff. And then he takes the wood of the cross and he throws it into the bitter place. And your bitterness becomes sweetness. He redeems even what the locusts have eaten. But he also (laughs) teaches us to begin to bear each other's life in that way. See, it would be an awesome thing, wouldn't it be, if you could just fix everybody? But that's not how it works. They still have a will, they still have choices, they still are able to make stupid choices just like you and me. But what God says is, will you bear? Others' burdens, like I have carried your burdens, and and this is such a, it's such a way to bring heaven into earth, and it transformed the world. One of the examples, and this is what I want to close with, is the question was asked: How did the Christian Church, that started with this 120 people in the upper room, become a dominant religion of the world or a dominant faith? And one of the writers, uh, historical writers, is Rodney Stark. And he talks about this plague in Rome. He says, this plague, which many scientists believe to have been smallpox, raged from 250 A.D. through 280 A.D. At its height, the epidemic is estimated to have killed 5,000 people a day in the city of Rome. Among them were two Roman emperors, Hostilian and Claudius II Gothicus. Cyprian writes in On Mortality of the Effects of the Plague on the Human Body. The intestines are shaken with the continual vomiting. The eyes are on fire with the infected blood. That it, in some cases, the feet or some parts of the limbs are taken off by the contagion of disease putrefaction. Through the pl- though the plague terrified the pagans, Christians greeted the epidemic as merely schooling and testing. Thus, at a time when all other faiths were called to question, Christianity offered explanation and comfort. He goes on to say, however, that even more importantly, Christian doctrine provided a prescription for action. The Christian community heroically transformed into a battalion of nurses. In other words, they said, as Jesus has borne our sickness, we will bear their sickness. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Stark goes on to estimate that in communities without a strong Christian nursing presence, 30% of the population died from the plague. In contrast, communities with a strong Christian presence, only 10% died from the plague. In Rome, 1,000 lives were saved every day. You see, not only then does Jesus bear our burdens, but then as we see his healing pattern, we begin to bear others' burdens as well. Kind of a fearlessness towards death. A fearlessness towards disease. A fearlessness in terms of living your life. You know, ultimately, sickness will not be translated from this life to your next life ultimately the pains and the emotional wounds that you have experienced here in some ways one writer said will all seem like a bad night in a hotel in the light of the glory that is to come in your life you know ultimately when you begin to see these things you can say with paul for me to live is christ and to die is gain or to be absent from this body is to be present with the lord No more tears. No more sadness. All things completed that he began here in this life. But it all starts off with saying, I'm vulnerable. I'm weak. I need living water. Not just bitter water. Living water. And Jesus says, All who are thirsty, come. Come and drink. And out of your bellies will begin to flow rivers of living water. Now, I told you as we began he made this promise that no diseases no none of the sicknesses of Egypt would follow after them but they had to listen and they had to obey they couldn't do it I think if I were God I would say okay I'm done with you people but instead he said you're right you can't do it so I'll make a new covenant with you and in this covenant I will keep all the promises In this covenant, I'll do all the listening. But what I will do is to all who will join me in this covenant, I will give you all the benefits. Truly, he bore our sorrows. He was afflicted. We did not see him as he really is, but by his stripes, we are healed. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take some time together. We have two songs that we want to worship the Lord with in conclusion of our service. If you guys will help me out here. Just, yeah, we'll just do four corners. Like a basketball team. going to do? Whoever's closest to you, um, we'll also see how sanctified you are as you wait in line. Uh, Whoever's closest to you, you come up to the front table here. We're going to worship together in his presence is the fullness of joy at his right hand or pleasures forever. As we worship him, he is enthroned in our praise. I believe there's healing in the room. But I believe that you don't need somebody else to pray over you. I'm not saying that you can't ask someone else to pray over you. I just believe you have authority over your circle. And so I'm asking you today to exchange any area where you're saying, I've been plagued by this, I've been challenged by this, whatever it is, and exchange the bitterness for the sweetness, to let the exchange take place where Jesus says, this is my body. But it's broken for you. So you receive what he's done for you and you give him what's, you know, what is broken in you and let him transform physically, emotionally. And it's at this table, he said, This is the new covenant. This is what you couldn't keep, I'm keeping for you, this new covenant. And he said, It's in my blood, not your blood. For the forgiveness of sin. so if you leave here today with guilt and shame you've you've not exchanged what you need to exchange when there is forgiveness there's nothing left to pay you are saying you paid it all it is honoring to him to give him your guilt it is glorifying to him for you to say i'm not leaving here with my shame you've got to do this this is not something someone else can do for you if you've decided that your life is is a bitter water then i can't make it sweet because you've decided that you identify yourself personally you identify yourself with your bitterness and and some of us have believed a lie that the more bitter our life is the more worthwhile the more important we are and we've given in to this lie that this is what makes me, me. Let me tell you something. It's time to separate yourself from these weaknesses that are gonna keep you from your destiny and keep you from flourishing. There's a feast that's waiting for you for which God wants to give you taste of right now. He knew we struggled, friends. So he gave us something to eat and he gave us something to drink. So as you're eating, it's gonna go down into the, you know, the depths of your digestive system, but it's really needing to go down into your heart. I exchange my broken body for your glorious body. I exchange my wounded soul, my wounded heart for your beautiful, precious blood that cleanses me of my guilt and my shame. So would you do this as we worship together would you take both elements and then bring them back and worship, worship with them in your hand? So let's do this. Would you come now and receive the elements for, from whoever is close? Some of you can come up here. This is closest for you. And Gabe's going to lead us. again around you. The centurion understood his circle. He said, if I say go, they go. If I say come, they come. If I say do, they do. It's time for you to take authority over that circle. So would you say this with me? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave me permission to use his name to accomplish my assignment. I take authority over my circle. Nothing nothing that is not of the spirit of God may remain. Go now. Never return. Go to the feet of Jesus. Now what I want you to realize is the more specific you get, I can't specifically say everything that's been inside your circle. But if it's it's emotional, say go. If it's physical, say go. If it's financial, say go. If it's opportunities, if it's injustice, if it just seems like bad things seem to come your way, say go to it. Say go. Now here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to exchange the bitter for the sweet. Would you say this with me? I receive everything that Jesus has accomplished for me. In the bitter waters of my life, I received the cross of Jesus Christ. He bore the bitterness. Now he is releasing in my life the sweetness of heaven and his kingdom. here's the decision you get to make now will you release what is true of heaven in your home will you release what is true of heaven where you work will you release it with your friendships with your relationships begin to believe you are walking in the goodness of God that you are bringing the goodness of God into the land of the living That every day of your life, goodness and mercy have been chasing after you. Now you are releasing that goodness and that mercy wherever you are. Instead of being a beggar, you are a kingdom authority person. Now as we close out our time together, again, praise. God inhabits the praises of his people. Gabe has been teaching us a song that is an anthem king of kings. This is really where we're at. I believe the Holy Spirit is spotlighting that if we fix our eyes on Jesus, nothing is impossible for God. And nothing is too hard for God. Every marriage in here, every loneliness that you feel, every sense of challenge that you're coming up against, he is Jehovah Rapha. Our king is the healer. He's not just a compassionate person. He's the king of kings. And the Lord of Lords, and He's our healer. So as we sing this together, I want to I want to ask you to first go ahead and take the elements. Receive and exchange all that Jesus is for all that you have. And then I'd like you to put your cup down because I want I would like as we do this to rally together to praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit together, and to set forth this sweetness in the earth to which God has assigned
1: us. In the darkness we were waiting without hope and without life to fulfill, when you came running. There was mercy in your eyes to fulfill.